0: of you to have grown up in a loving church community where the gospel was preached and taught. Um, On the screen there'll be a photo from our 1980s gathering and when I found this recently and looked at it I couldn't help but feel very sentimental Uh, and we could recognize a lot of faces there. Uh, The question that came to mind as I did look at it is where are they now? The person on the front left was my pastor at the time, getting ready to preach. He's got his little microphone hooked up. From this time, there were people people looking forward. They're, They're engaged in something. And there were some happy stories that have come in the last 30 years since that time, some tragedies. Some have gone to be with the Lord. Some disappeared from the life of any church. Some would just come, and this is a Christmas event, just come for occasions like that. As a friend said to me recently, of the many who have drifted from church life and Jesus with it, most of them have just found a way of life that doesn't include church anymore. Most of them have just found a way of life that doesn't include church anymore. This is a story from all around Australia, isn't it? It's such a shame. For Christ's people, the celestial city is in view. It's just across the water. That's just a bad photo, but it almost looks like there's a bright light there, doesn't it? The the city is just in front of them. You can uh, remove the photo, thanks. That beautiful phrase Peter uses in verse 13, the home of righteousness to describe heaven, is moments away. What I'd love to tell these beautiful people is what God tells us this morning if I had a chance to go back and speak to them. Friends, you are in today's photo of the Christians gathered here this morning. What will come of you in 30 years' time? Souls made for eternity. God wants you to be among those who will wait well. And so the question is, will you? If you are to wait well, if you are to step assuredly into Christ's presence and not stumble in or out of it, then it won't be by accident. It will be through a decision. And many seemingly ordinary Godward decisions on days just like today. That I, my household, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. How are we to wait well? Well, in 2 Peter 3, 14 to 18, Peter gives his final appeal. These are the last words we have of his life written. He directs how we are to RSVP to God in a way that gathers up the thrust of the rest of the letter in one condensed message. Where to RSVP? Where to be R, righteous, 2, S, saving, V, vigilant, and 4, perpetually growing. That is persistently, constantly growing as his people. So first then, knowing we're one step away from our eternal home, this home of righteousness ahead of us, verse 13, verse 14 calls us to be righteous. And I'm going to spend most of our time in this word this morning, because this word righteous, because it has flow on effects for the other three. The other three follow. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to literally Awaiting a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are awaiting these things, looking forward to these things, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. We can just pause for a moment to enjoy three verbs here. First, awaiting, this looking forward to, which Peter uses in verse 13 and again in verse 14. Delayed gratification. Our longings for longings, our longings for beauty, uh, for adventure, for arrival and excitement and dignity and acceptance, a lot of the things that shape how we behave day to day. These things will ultimately be met by God and in heaven. We look to the giver now, um, spared from the chasing of all of the gifts, hoping to find in them what only the giver himself offers. As Andrew put memorably last Sunday, since Jesus could come any day, we need to be ready every day. Awaiting. The second verb to bring out here, one of Peter's favourites in 2 Peter, is make every effort. And we might put it into one word, strive. Strive, DPC, strive. That would be the, the message to the photo today. Life's, if, if life's hard, if it feels like a battle, well, it is The Bible makes that battle very clear. Sin is enticing. It's so deceptive. Foolish options are in every direction but his. You won't be righteous by accident, but by making every effort, with God's wind in those sails, the whole way home. And the third verb there, being found. So then, dear friends, since you are awaiting these things, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. How will you be found in 30 years from now? That's an interesting verb to pick, isn't it? But to be found is a, is a passive verb, a passive activity. But how we're living when he finds us is where our every effort is devoted. Christians, even on our deathbeds, even with chronic fatigue, even with depression, fight this good fight of Christ's until we live again. I've got Christian friends, I I suppose, like many of you as well who've had terrible experiences through life. Perhaps you're in that category yourself. Separation, divorce, cancer, degenerative illness, family breakdown. We all have trials. And I've often shaken my head in wonder at the way some of my Christian friends just keep praying, just keep trusting And keep expressing gratitude to God when the forces of hell seem to be thrown against them. Wow. Left to ourselves, God's call for righteousness is so far beyond us. But with God's spirit, ordinary Christians in this room will be found living for him when he comes. Those who set their hearts on their home of righteousness don't wait to arrive in righteous land before enjoying righteous living. Heaven, in this sense, begins on earth. Uh, Look around and you might imitate some of the beautiful lives around us here in this church community. People pursuing righteousness. People being beautified day by day. Citizens of eternal righteousness. Be righteous. I remember as a teenager I was at a wedding where the groom gave a speech And he was, I think, talking to the younger boys and men at the time. He said, as a young man, speaking from experience here, looking for the right woman for many years, he said, as a young man, uh, spend less energy on defining the perfect woman or finding the right person than you do on actually being the right person yourself. Young men, teenage boys, be an honourable man, worthy of respect if you would later ask someone to entrust their future to you. There's a good way to wait well. And DPC, the best way to prepare for heaven is to love now heaven's king, our great groom, and to adopt increasingly his perfect values ahead of the great wedding banquet. Jesus' truth, Jesus' beauty, Jesus' goodness. Because Jesus' righteousness is our future, if it hasn't yet begun very deliberately in your Christian walk, righteousness begins in earnest now. That's Peter's message. Like Father, like Son, like Spirit, holy and holy and holy. Like God and like Christian, like Saviour, like saved. The Holy Father sends his Holy Son and Holy Spirit to make a holy people. And our time starts now. Uh, It seems like death is surrounding me at the moment. There's Four people close to me have died in recent uh, six weeks. And so this matter is very big on my heart at the moment. Uh, Funerals I've conducted recently. I love knowing where people are going. And a funeral where you are not at all confident in where someone's going is so much harder to conduct. For me and for the family. And the hope I can express at moments like that is diminished, and I end up speaking about the living and to the living. When all is said and done, when it's time for Jesus to find you, nothing but your status before him will matter. In or out, sheep or goat, enjoy life forever with me or suffer the want of me forever. It's little wonder then that Peter repeats this verb from chapter 1 where he said to strive and strive, verse 5 and verse 10 with all you've got, not to earn salvation, that's all by grace, but because that's how the saved walk, that's how they make a real difference with their lives, that's what fruitful people do, that's why they're fruitful, and that's why people enter into God's kingdom. The world and churches are full enough of nominal Christians, spectators of discipleship, and so if you're going to be a Christian, be a diligent Christian for heaven's sake, That's what Jesus says. That's what Peter's echoing. And that's what I, with humility, want to echo this morning as well, as a message to myself. That we don't have an attitude of church, well, I'll be at church if no other invitations or decisions clash with that one. That I'm too busy to pray, to have any decent time in God's word, to say yes to any church meaningful relationships or ministry opportunities honor my parents or disciple my kids. If this is you, you might ask, what's got hold of me if not Jesus and his kingdom? Make up your minds says the Lord of the church to churchgoers in Revelation chapter 3. Let me find you hot or cold, not lukewarm. I read the Lord Jesus' words to the church. A church. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Friends, it makes me wonder what a really hot DPC would look like. And I wonder, would you be interested and willing to be part of it? Would it get in the way or demand too much? Are you ready to be part of such a community? And what on earth would it look like and how do we get there? Praying that we'd be prayerful at our prayer gathering on Wednesday night would seem a really great step. Pray, ask God to do what we can't do for ourselves. To lift our temperature. This is a word to heed now. Not when he finds us. For the Lord Jesus in the same chapter says, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Firstly, then righteous. will be waiting as those pursuing righteousness. Second, saving. Bear in mind, Peter writes, verse 15, that our Lord's patience means salvation. Now, Peter's Greek wording is more punchy here. The English smooths it out for us, but in just five words, it's something like, Regard our Lord's patience, salvation, without a verb in between. Regard our Lord's patience, salvation. Jesus hasn't returned yet, therefore we doubt, therefore we are embarrassed. No, salvation. The pain and suffering of this unjust world continues. Russia, minority groups in China, another drug bust in Australia. Hosanna, he lives. He saves. Christians are still being persecuted, imprisoned, starving, tortured, shot. So God is still saving And I wonder, are you someone who asks, how can a good God allow bad things to happen more often than you share the good news of the gospel? God's way of addressing evil in the world. Consider our Lord's patient salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. But isn't it the extremist Christians, those fundamentalists, those crazy branches of Christians that might still dare to say, repent for the day of the Lord is near? They're mocking Peter in Peter's day. That's pretty early. And Peter says that Paul has the same message. Judgment is coming, therefore repent, be ready. And so we have Peter and Paul crying out with one divine voice that the church be urgently gospeling with the days that we are given. They've had their days, this is ours. As Dick Lucas points out in the pastoral note in the the service sheet this week, only Christians can do evangelism. Yes, we can join arms with the world and should join arms with the world in caring for the environment, seeking justice and compassion and other social works. But while some might cry, cry, and we see it around our suburbs, climate action now. Only the Christians are going to say, reconciliation with God now. Save the whales, that's very good. But it's the church's focus to say, save the humans We see humans not primarily as a blight or a threat to the planet, as they seem to become, but as creatures with immortal souls that will not by default rest in peace. And if you are to be more like Jesus, then this project of reconciliation with God must mean more to you tomorrow than it does today. Righteous, saving. And third, RSV, vigilance. Verses 16 to 17, Paul writes the same way in all his letters. It must be important. Speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I'm glad it's not just... Well, I'm glad Peter thinks that as well. Some tricky things in Paul's understanding. He's, he's describing things bigger than words are meant to capture, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard, be vigilant, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Um, some have shared with me in, in recent couple of months that until recently, in dealing and delving into 2 Peter, they haven't really seen false teaching as a problem, perhaps growing up in a, a fairly conservative, strong church. And so, the plague affecting Australian churches and and churches around the world is something that just hasn't been on their radar. Um, In the Uniting Church, where the denomination I came from, they couldn't agree that the Bible is the Word of God. And so, as a denomination, they settled on the Bible containing the Word of God. Small difference, huge difference creating doubts and wriggle room on every page of Scripture. Is this God's word? Or is this Paul's homophobia or something else showing itself? The serpents, did God really say? Becomes the question of our college lecturers and our pastors and their emptying churches. The decline of Christianity in Australia need not be any mystery. The gospel has been put aside. God's precious word neglected distrusted one of the alternatives along the way has been taken false teaching is rarely labeled as such it's packaged as a fresh reading it's prosperity god would surely want you to have god wants us all to be happy in the end doesn't he right Uh, one of my friends just announced on facebook that he's done more reading and thinking and now he endorses same-sex marriage as a pastor And I grieved as I read over the names of my church friends who like his post. Another contemporary virtue in our culture is to affirm, unless you're a judgmental person. Be warned. Be on your guard. This is the air we breathe. Don't be carried away by the lawless. Lawless because they've left scripture and so they have no other reference, no other law, no other teachings. What does the Bible say? That's the question for our church not what do we want the Bible to say or what do people want to hear from this church. I find in ministry I'm not needing people helping me to be more sensitive to the world around me. Important that that is. I'm needing people to pray for me that I'd hold the line with God's word when every pressure is to do otherwise. I really appreciate my wife for encouraging me to hold on to God's word, to hold the line. Pray for your elders. Pray for your home group leaders. Pray for our church as a whole, that we be vigilant, unembarrassed, unafraid to trust and declare what God says. You might remember the tragedy in 2016 when an engineer mistakenly mixed up the oxygen and nitrous oxide gas lines in the Bankstown Lidcombe Hospital. How distressing you reach trustingly for a source of life only to be offered a source of death. And so too we who speak in God's name but twist and distort his words, thinking we're doing others a favor. It's not that we save ourselves by our vigilance. It's not salvation by works. It's not meant to create undue fear. Calvin explains, it's, this is not meant to shake our I'll I'll quote him. These words are not meant to shake the firmness of your faith, which rests on God, but to correct the sloth of our flesh. As long as we're in the flesh, our tardiness must be roused. And this is fitly done by having our weaknesses and the variety of dangers which surround us placed before our eyes. We need to be aware of the danger to avoid them. Forewarned, verse 17 is Peter's words, that we might be ever on guard. Righteous, are saving, Be vigilant. And this leads to 2 Peter's final wonderful verse, verse 18. And I love the way you read it, Kaz. Verse 17 and 18 together encapsulate pretty well the entire message of 2 Peter. And so if you've been dozing in the last six or seven weeks, or just joined us today, verses 17 to 18 really capture the essence of the letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. But here's where our fourth point, perpetual growth comes in. Grow, persistently grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Um, Our call last year as a church when we needed to look at staffing was let's grow dpc let's aim to grow as disciples to strengthen who we are and what we do and pray that the lord might add to our number those being saved for christians growth isn't a seasonal activity growth is not just for special christians grow is what god's people do And again, visualizing any Christian gathering, the best way to survive, the best way to persevere, is to grow. Uh, We want our youth ministry to go, go well. Let's help them to grow as Christians. Christians don't tread water. We don't stand still. We aren't simply going through the motions of church or home group. Disciples commanded to grow, pursue growth. And we are given the very best of soil individually and corporately. Verse 18 tells us what our soil is. But grow, DPC, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's something about this last sentence that's held me for the last 10 years. Um, I studied this book about 10 years ago. For while nature might be good for mindfulness or meditation, we dwell in and upon the source of creation, pure life, an object whose glory exceeds all else. I just love the phrase, to grow in grace. What does that even mean, to grow in the grace of Jesus? we come to know it a bit, and Peter certainly knew it well. His kindness to us, the steadiness and goodness of his character, the fresh starts that he obviously gives people who stumble and fall, grow in that grace, and grow in the knowledge of him as well. Pursue him, understand him, learn from him. Uh, Have a humble posture before his word, to be a grower. This Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was the best mate Peter ever had, I take it. And Peter recognises the godness here, however, the full divine weight of Jesus when he writes about the Lord Jesus, the Saviour Jesus. And says, as a Jew, would very carefully say to be to him glory both now and to the day of eternity. There's something about that kind command that's so wonderful. Even if it's impossible, it seems for me to grasp. I want to bottle it. Talk about something that's really good for our mental health. To grow in this grace and grow in the knowledge of this good and kind and loving saviour. The air, DPC, breathes when we're apart and when we're together is to be the grace of Jesus. It's the soil for us, the Lord of life himself who loves us to death and who now says, grow in my grace, grow to know me more and more. I'm not a gardener. Um, I'm hopeless at identifying plants, found out that's a magnolia recently, and I was determined to, out the back in the green square, I was determined to memorise that the name of that plant. But you notice healthy plants in good soil seem so naturally to combine striving with thriving. If I could go back and speak to a gathering of people 30 years ago who no longer exist as God's people, and I'm not putting that label upon my former church, I can't think of a message more important than this to convey to them. Grow to know the glory and the grace of Jesus, old friends. Strive to be righteous, saving, vigilant, perpetually growing. And I say that this morning, that if I meet you in 10, 20, 30 years' time, that's the person I find. And I'm the person you find in the same way. To survive and thrive, we strive. You might have some golden days behind you. I hope you have. You may think, these are pretty good. These are golden days. But the greatest days for Christ's people are very much ahead of us. Isn't that great news? Uncountable in number. Untainted by sin. Impervious to Satan's touch. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's, uh, before we receive the Lord's Supper, let's commit our way to God in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, eternal, gracious Son and Spirit of holiness who works in us so powerfully day by day to choose the ways of Jesus over all the other options. We thank you for your powerful work in us to open our eyes to the truth and glory of Jesus. We say sorry, too, for the ways we've neglected that great privilege, that vision, both of the past and the present and the future as well. And we pray that we might be awoken this morning by your word to be as deliberate as we should be about the things that matter most. Lord, forgive us our waywardness. Forgive us for the way we've let so many other priorities dominate and constrain and choke our effectiveness for you. Help us as a church, Lord, to take a step at a time, but to take steps of faith and to begin those steps, every step with prayer, that you be brought in and that your glory be our our chief concern pray these things. We, we pray these things for ourselves and for each other, those with us this morning, those not yet with us, but that you might bring through our doors. We pray that we'd be a gracious, loving community with a great love for the lost as well, compassion. And we ask these things in the strong name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.